Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to World's Finest True Believers. Each episode, a guest and I will discuss one of our favorite comic book arcs or graphic novels from any publisher. My name is Chris. Thanks for joining us. Now let's get started. Well, thank you all for joining me for another new episode of World's Finest True Believers. We are part of the Geek Ultimate Alliance Network. We are on every single day of the week filling your your ears with all the, your geek and nerd needs. So we've got this show, World's Finest True Believers. We've got DC Alliance. We've got Marvel Alliance. We've got Star Wars Alliance, Ranger Alliance, Slice of Film, Superhero Discussions, uh, Super Civil Servants. Then we've got on the weekends, we've got Weird Comic weird science comic book comic roundup with jim looking at both dc and marvel and i think i've got it all there again if i somehow missed it no offense at that point the good thing is now all those shows are now right on in the description of the of the uh networks right on this uh feed uh we also have a patreon making sure if uh you love what we're doing here you can uh we have two tiers one a uh, first tier is a dollar the tip jar saying we're doing a good job and then we have a five dollar tier where you get a little bit extra we get at you get ad free episodes you get early access to episodes including world's finest true believers since we do record this uh, a little bit early on and then we get some exclusive episodes that are just for patreon only so again if you have a few extra shekels to throw our way we will greatly appreciate it if not, if you take a few minutes to rate and review the uh, network on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform that uh, your podcatcher of choice may be, 
you can follow uh, me on excuse me, you can follow this show at Finest Believers and me personally at Chris Balga, both on Twitter. And you can follow the Geek Ultimate Alliance Network on Twitter at GUA Pod Network. So we've got all the plugs out of the way, and tonight we have a returning guest. You, if you are familiar with this network, he is not a voice that you are you should not recognize, and definitely uh, a good friend at that point. Brent, why don't you say hi to everyone? Hey, I am very happy to be back. It's it's you know it's, the last time I was on the show was before before the Geek Ultimate Alliance, so this is. Mm-hmm. Not technically my debut on the show, but it kind of feels like it just because it's, you know, a new deal. Yes, definitely. Yeah, it's still not totally the fresh new car smell, but it's still uh, still only got a few miles on it. Car got detailed. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Got a little detail. Got it spruced up a bit. So if for somehow they don't know who you are, don't know your voice, why don't you tell uh, the listeners, give it a little rundown of who you are and plug your shows. Sure. I am a member of the Squadcast Media Network um, over at squadcastmedia.com. You can find all the links. I am the co-host of two shows over there. One is Fans Without Borders. That is a weekly show. The other is Marvel Squadcast, where right now we're just kind of sporadic, just checking in every so often. But we are planning on going weekly for reviews for WandaVision. So you'll be able to to hear those. So um, And then on Twitter, I'm at Brentech Prime. And then, you know, occasionally, occasionally, every now and then, you hear me on Marvel Alliance too, so I gotta pipe in when they'll let me barge in. <laughs> yes, the the door is uh, definitely cracked open always for you, Brent. So thank you again for uh, coming on tonight. And so you know what is what are we going to be talking about tonight? You know, last time I was on, I talked about my favorite characters: uh, Spider Man, Green Lantern, mm-hmm. Kyle Rayner, Superboy, and then we went and talked about Invincible of all things, just because it's one of my absolute favorite books. Well, I thought for this time. I, I got it, you know, back to basics, back to where it all starts for me. So we are going with Spider-Man and not just any Spider-Man, but it's from the amazing Spider-Man, the flagship title from the beginning of J. Michael Straczynski and John Romita Jr.'s run on Amazing Spider-Man. And, you know, it's weird. This arc doesn't really have a name. Like every issue of this arc has a different name. The collected version is called Coming Home. So if you... If, if you're interested in it after we're done talking about it, if you haven't had the chance or if you're going to pause and go listen to it, uh, the collected or go read it, the collected is coming home. But this is just, you know, it, as a, this this probably doesn't top too many people's list of favorite Spider-Man stories. And and I don't I wouldn't even call it my absolute favorite, but it'd be in the conversation. I think this is just really a good summation of who Peter Parker as Spider-Man is. Like you just get a lot of that in this one story, a lot of what makes him tick. And I I've just I've read this thing so many times, so many times um, back in the hard copy days. And then you and I started talking about a couple other things related to Straczynski's run mm-hmm. later on. He's definitely had his uh Let's just say his run has some polarizing story arcs later down the line. <laughs> maybe his choice or maybe from what I hear necessarily stuff that he necessarily doesn't fully agree with. Yeah, I think it was stuff that he was told to do. But yes. this does not fall into that category. And I that the other like sins past or whatever it is, it's like, whatever. OK, that story's fine. I don't care. Whatever. But this one, this coming home, I guess I'll just call it because that's what the trade is. Mm-hmm. It introduces a new spider villain who at the time you don't know if you're going to see again, but later Dan slot would pick up the ball and run with them quite heavily mm-hmm. in spider verse events. And I just, I, something about this story, just everything about it is just like, 
if I if I need if if I had one story to tell you, this is who Spider Man is. This might be the story I go to. Yeah, it, it's definitely as we'll get into in a little bit, kind of a a I wouldn't say a radical change for the character, but definitely some changes to kind of freshen up what's who Peter Parker is and and uh, him as Spider Man at that point. Now, um, when did you did you read this first run, or did you kind of discover this later on? So I would have to go double check my archives, my physical copies, but my memory is telling me that I had a couple of the issues in singles and then I got the collected trade. And I was definitely one who just would slot in the trades and my piles wherever they went to keep the numbering to read in order. So I, at, at the very least, I read it shortly after the trade came out for the first time. I think I maybe read a couple of the issue singles. I'd have to, I'd have to consult my, my books there for that, but it uh, it's one that it's one that my trade copy of it is very very worn. Let's say. Yeah, it's it, it's these are the first five issues of Jameis's run, uh, published uh, June 9th, two thousand one, and I believe it uh, went up into, I want to say, uh, November of uh, two thousand one. So the it, I'll tell you what, in five issues. Six he, issues. Six issues. Excuse me. Six, counting is hard. Six <laughs> issues. Um, <laughs> he he does a lot and, and does some stuff that for someone that's just getting the his first crack at the you know Marvel's probably flagship flagship character. He definitely gives him shock. You know, at that point, <laughs> and definitely, especially that ending issue. Uh, you know, I target. think I think I have one nitpick about this, and we'll we'll talk about it when we get there. And then the rest of it's just a love fest for me. I just love this book mm-hmm. so much. And even my nitpick really isn't that big a deal. And it's 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 irrational, and you'll you'll understand why when we get there. Oh yeah, it's it, there's nothing wrong. Even our our best ones, like I said, it's okay to totally have a little bit of things that we we kind of tilt our head to. It's like eh, I don't know about that. So I've got a very very short synopsis uh, for for this. Uh, goes like this. Uh, shortly after starting to teach science in public high school, Peter meets superpowered Ezekiel, who has come to warn him that an immortal hunter named Moreland is after Spider-Man, and if they should meet, Spider-Man will surely die. Quick, simple, to the point. Yeah, you know it. It really doesn't tell you much. I, I mean, I bet you. I bet you that description could fit like 30 different Spider-Man stories, you know, like maybe to get the job to, uh, for, for, to student or to photographer instead of high mm-hmm. school teacher, which a lot of people do forget that he did that for a while. But yeah. And then, Oh, just meets big Uber new villain who, if he, if he, their paths cross, he's going to, yeah. I mean, that, the synopsis sounds very, very basic. If, I mean, if, just call it what it is. It does sound really mm-hmm. basic, but you know, right out of the gate, you're hit with this John Romita Jr. artwork. And there's this amazing splash page of Spider-Man swinging across the city. It's like the second or third page. And, I, you know, I, I'm actually not the biggest fan of Romita's artwork for other characters. And Bagley, Mark Bagley is my favorite Spider-Man artist. But something about Romita Jr.'s spider artwork just works for me. It just mm-hmm. works for me. I mean, the artwork, the stuff that he does is just beautiful. And so right right out of the gate, you're just met with this amazing artwork that just really draws you in. And it's just, you know, it's just kind of Peter off on his own, you know, trying to get a little stress release. He finds a, a building that's <laughs> set for demolition and he just does all the work for him. And, 
you get a couple good pages of him tearing the thing apart. And then at the, at the end, it's the morning and the foreman just says, okay, lunchtime, which <laughs> I always thought was a funny gag. But, yeah. And there's definitely a good reason to it. Uh, of We'll get into it just a little bit with the background. Um, but yeah, uh, J. Michael Straczynski, we're going to kind of refer to him probably either by his last name or what he's illustrious known by his fans like JMS. Yep. Which is so much easier to say. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so, yeah, he was born July uh, 17th, 1954. Um, he is known not just for comics. Um, he is known for television and films. He's a television film screenwriter, producer, and director. Um, he is the founder of Studio JMS and is best known for the creator of the television series Babylon 5 and its spinoff Crusade, as well as Jeremiah and Sense8. Um, he was a fan of uh, the cartoon He-Man and the Master of the Universe and wrote a spec script in 1984 and sent it directly to Filmation. Uh, they purchased, purchased his script and bought several others and hired him to staff. Uh, JMS was hired to come aboard uh, Len Jansen and Chuck Menville's project to adapt the movie Ghostbusters to the animated version, The Real Ghostbusters. Uh, he wrote the psychological drama film uh, Change Change Alina, um, and going on a few other parts. He was a co-writer of the martial arts thriller Ninja Assassin, uh, the horror film Underworld Awakening, and apocalyptic horror film World War Z. Uh, JMS is credited as the story writer, along with uh, Mark. Prostovich in uh, 20, the 2011, uh, very interesting 2011 film Thor. He also makes a cameo appearance in the film. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Thor, ever heard of it? <laughs> you know, I, I've maybe maybe seen it once or twice. <laughs> uh, from 2001 to 2007, he wrote for The Amazing Spider-Man, followed with runs on Thor and Fantastic Four, Supreme Power, and Strange. He also was the author of Superman Earth, the Superman Earth One trilogy, and along with that, he, which was in a gra- is, which, which is in a graphic novel format. Along with that, he has written for Superman, Wonder Woman, Before Watchmen, all for DC Comics. JMS is the creator and writer of several other original comic book series such as Rising Stars, Midnight Nation, Dream Police, and the Ten and Ten Grand through Joe's Comics. Um, he is a prolific writer across a variety of media. Uh, f- he is also a former journalist. He is the author of of, of the novels Blood Night, uh, The Other Side, and Tribulations, the short story f- collection Trzinski Unplugged, and the nonfiction book, the complete book of script writing. So definitely one that has dabbled in a little bit of everything. Well, yeah, I mean, comic work, TV work, movie work. He's he's done it all in this industry, and he's done it with, you know, not with not just with his own creator own work that has like risen to higher pop, like higher levels of awareness from people who don't even read most creator own work. They like people right. like me who, frankly, focus almost exclusively on Marvel and DC. Even like people like me are aware of these those other works that you mentioned, and then of course TV. I mean, Babylon five, I mean, that series, well, I don't watch it. it, It's an iconic series. It's a beloved series. And I see him on Twitter frequently answering questions about it, which is cool of him to take the time to do. And then of course, he's worked in movies and stuff too. I mean, yeah, we joke about Thor, but actually look at what that Thor movie helped lead to. And he Mm -hmm. had a hand in that. That's, I mean, what an incredible career. 
Oh yeah. And, and just his knowledge. And as, as we'll get into some of the background of like what he wanted to do with Spider-Man to kind of change things up and kind of look at what he thought was um, some issues with the character that he felt needed to be kind of course corrected. Um, but our penciler uh, is, as you said, the uh, probably infant from the infamous family, the Ramitas at that point, John Ramita Jr. Um, I'm kind of with you on that. Uh, there are some times when Ramita just is not the one I would think should be, you know, is not my favorite kind of penciler for it. I think um, Superman comes to mind. He's not my favorite artist when it comes to Superman, but you're right with Spider-Man. He just, it seems to just work. It's the um, faces. It's the faces. It's the faces. There's something yeah. about his faces that are just, for some reason, like on Superman, they just didn't work very well. And mm-hmm. I don't want to use the word ugly, but just something was off about it. But when he does, when, like Spider-Man is a mass character, you know, so it's like, doesn't there? Sure, he, you see plenty in the story arc of Peter Parker and Master Ezekiel and Mass and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But it, there's still just something about the faces that I think is maybe not his strongest suit. Exactly. So, uh, but again, that's, that's everyone, but it, like I said, for at least, for at least Spider-Man, it works. So some of his background, his first contribution to Marvel comics was at the age of 13 with the creation of the Prowler in amazing comics, uh, Spider-Man number 78. Um, it, Romita Jr. began his career at Marvel UK, um, doing these sketches for, and covers of reprints. His American debut was at the six-page story entitled Chaos at, at the Coffee Bean and the Amazing Spider-Man Annual Number 11 in 1977. Uh, Romita's early popularity began with his run in Iron Man uh, with uh, writer David McElhaney. I would seem to get that tongue twister at that point. Uh, with, art, with artist Bob Layton, which began in 1978. The creative team introduced several supporting characters, including Tony Stark's bodyguard, uh, bodyguard bodyguard girlfriend Bethany Cabe and uh, rival industrialist Justin Hammer. In early 1980s, he has his first regular run on the series Amazing Spider-Man and also was the artist for the launch of the Dazzler series. He and writer Dennis O'Neill introduced Madam Web in the Amazing Spider-Man 210 and Hydro-Man in issue 212. Uh, working with Roger Stern, Amazing Spider-Man, he also co-created the character Hobgoblin. Uh, from 1983 to 1986, he has had a he had a run on Uncanny X-Men with Dan Green and author Chris Claremont, and co-created the character of Forge. Uh, Romita has downplayed the significance of his run, saying that uh, few characters of comics introduced during this time were co-created by him, and that his style had no discernible influence on the succeeding X-Men artist. Um, his relationship with Claremont is rather cool at times. He goes on uh, he, as Claremont did not like his work as much as the artist had previously worked with. He would return for a second run on Uncanny X-Men in 1993, which he said he liked better because he was getting to work with writer Scott Lobdell. Uh, 1988 to 1990, uh, Romita had an extended stint on Daredevil with writer Anne uh, Nascenti and uh, which introduced the creation of the long-running Daredevil nemesis Typhoid Mary. He worked on a host of Marvel titles in the 1990s, including Iron another return to Iron Man for the second Armor War story arc, uh, written by John Byrne, The Punisher War Zone, uh, the Cable miniseries, and the Punisher Batman crossover. In 2001, he was named... Uh, he returned to Spider-Man with collaboration with JMS, which we'll be covering tonight. 
Uh, in 2006, Romita collaborated with writer Neil Gaiman on the seven-issue miniseries reinterpretation of Jack Kirby's characters, The Eternals. In 2008, John, uh, excuse me, Romita continued to return to The Amazing Spider-Man. He also collaborated with um, Mark Millar for, or Miller, I've heard it both ways, uh, for uh, creator-owned series Kick-Ass, uh, published under Marvel's Icon imprint. In 2014, he became the penciler of the DC Comics flagship Superman, starting with issue number 32 in collaboration with writer Jeff Johns. And in 2016, he and writer Scott Snyder collaborated on All-Star Batman series as part of the DC Rebirth relaunch. So again, a his father, just as famous, just as famous as him, if not, you know, again, he's the you know, they both have it's very interesting how they both have very similar styles. You know, I say interesting just because want to say well of course he's he's the son he's gonna take after him but so, it's just there they both have a little spin he has a little spin on what his father does but it's you can tell a ramita style yeah you you may question which ramita you're looking at but you always know it's one of them and you you just got to assume that senior imparted some of his his wisdom like the way he does things to to junior and yeah just listening to like that career that ramita junior has had i mean like jms it's just He's touched some of the most iconic characters and he's worked with some of the most iconic writers and names in the business. I mean, that's the kind of run that most comic creators I think would kill to have. Oh yeah. I mean, I mean how many, I mean, you could go to any kind of writer and or penciler, but it's just like at some point you're going to hear either one of these two's names as an influencer on someone's run. Or mm-hmm. like with why they became it. They want to. They want to. They've either read their work or seen their work. It's you know you guess you can't escape it. They they just had that much of an impact. But um, but before we get into the kind of the background of um, JMS and what he wanted to do with Spider Man when we got the role, we're going to take our first ad break. And so as you know, listeners, we these ads help keep the lights on at the Eagle to Mid Alliance Network. We don't always get to choose what ads come on. I don't know why I would say we don't always get to choose. We never get to choose. Never get to choose. We, we never get to choose. And trust me, I would love to choose some of these ads. But again, sometimes when I listen to them, it's the same ad three times. So I apologize. But again, we don't get to choose the ads. But sometimes they could be a bit loud. So I'm going to give you a three count so you can turn the volume down so it doesn't blow out that eardrum. Three, two, one. We'll be right back. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. So some of this background, um, Do you, before I get into kind of what I have, do you have any kind of things that you know of how this creation came about at all, Brent? 
You know, I actually don't. I haven't looked too much into it other than just one of those, it was time for a new run. And interestingly, they kept the numbering going, you know, like this starts in issue 30. Whereas nowadays with Marvel, it seems like every time there's a new writer, the run starts over. And sometimes the run starts over even with the same writer, artist, inker, editor, the whole whole team is the same people. They just start over. So that right there is like looking back at these issues, like which ones? What? Oh, he started in the middle. I forgot that. <laughs> yeah, I think I appreciate it. I think now a lot of them have, quote unquote, their legacy. If they do yes. remember, they'll keep that legacy there. Because I, some of us, some of us who have been there for a little bit longer, like to at least say, okay, where is this? Is this still part of the series? <laughs> yeah. So this starts with a uh, Legacy four seventy one, and for context, Legacy four hundred was when Aunt May was thought to have died, and right in the heart of the Clone Saga. Ah, uh, yes. Ah, uh, the Clone Saga. That amazing, amazing piece of work. Keep that in the back of your mind for my nitpick. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so this kind of gets pieced together a little bit of, of some different statements JMS has made over the years, taking also from uh, the kind of coming from the blog weblines. Um, kind of breaking out of the three parts of this. Uh, first part is looking at breathing life into the franchise. So around the time that the Ultimate line was coming about, um, new reader with bringing new readers into Marvel and updating Spider-Man for a younger version, uh, there was no need for the original that already existed and to remain young. After nearly 40 years and continuous publishing chronology, it was time for the original Peter Parker to grow up and evolve, not to change according to... Um, the current comic book trends at the time as um, as was the nineties, but to evolve himself as a human character, then as a superhero. So the new editorial management in the year 2000, then editor in chief, Joe Quesada uh, brought in JMS who we've kind of gone over his illustrious clear and not just comics, but writer of TV and film to bring in his kind of perspective on uh, Spider-Man to kind of bring in new life to this. Um, more so, JMS kind of said he understands um, how to apply the concept that is the character's essence that drives the plot forward and not the characters being submissive to the factors of the plot itself. He stated that once he understands their personalities, he just wants them to speak and behave according to their own nature. It was through him that the spider totem, as was first brought in during Craven's last hunt and Peter Parker's maturity were emphasized as the whole new approach. And so, as we said, this new run started in July of 2001 with issue 30 and bringing on and continuing on with John Romita Jr. as his penciler. So it's kind of interesting how, you know, right around the time ultimates, the ultimate line comes on with um, Spider-Man at that point, we get kind of a, a, updated take or a as he calls an evolution of peter parker yeah and i i gotta think that was intentional you know ultimate spider-man was a modernized take of spider-man in the present day but like going back to his beginning going back to his origin so going back and actually like seeing the spider bite and seeing Peter's first job in high school working for the Daily Bugle, but not really as a photographer. He was really working. Uh, he was one of their website designers, basically. And it's kind of funny because the first arc of of Ultimate Spider-Man is the origin story in mm -hmm. six issues. So Bendis told in six issues what Stan Lee did in like 12 <laughs> pages, something like that, which I, I always think is kind of funny, but that's Bendis' style, you know, decompression. It, so it, it did make sense, though, because they were trying to have – 
Marvel was really trying to have everything with this. They were trying to have two universes, two connected continuities that, you know, they never were going to cross allegedly. Obviously we know they eventually did, but you had the young teenager with young teenager problems and a young teenager life in the ultimate line. And now, so they were like, let's go the more adult, the more mature having a, you know, a quote unquote real job where he's not just going from every, every other story arc. It seems like he's out of work again, or he's trying to get another, you know, sell three more pictures of Spider-Man to Jameson. And so he starts a teaching position in this, which you do see the teaching position go beyond this run, even though it's really only introduced in this actual story we're, we're talking Mm -hmm. about tonight. It is two very different interpretations on Spider-Man. Yeah, and so the the next part of this is called Maturing Peter and the Crutch of His Supporting Cast. Um, JMS said, this run is not a new beginning. It is a continuation and an evolution, not a change uh, from everything that came before. Only for Peter Parker as Spider-Man. For an interview, he conceded in, in Wizard Magazine at the time that the title's first issue under his pen name, JMS, mentioned his approach to the character. He said, you learn in television that if the staff writers don't don't know what to do with the main character they build up the surrounding characters to make make a difference uh the characters surround that are around spidey have grown so overpowering spider-man was really a supporting character within his own book he says you look at all the looking at all the cat his supporting characters from betty brant flash thompson um jill's uh you know paul and jill stacy joe and randy robertson uh, even all the way down to J. Jonah Jameson. He has probably one of the most stablest array of supporting characters in superhero comics. I would have to really agree with that. You know, I think the amount of supporting characters, I'm trying to think in my mind that, you know, who could co- approach that amount of supporting characters around them that have been so influential. I mean, probably only the big two in Batman and Superman potentially, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, who would even begin to approach that? I guess we could make up a list of like who actually has the most of what you would call their supporting cast, but it's got to be those three. Like nobody's on that level. And it's, it's a good thing. You have this rich, diverse cast that you can draw from. You have people from, from Peter's life, the high school and college as an adult across, you have, you know, his relationships and his friendships with other heroes, his relationship and his friendships with characters like, like flash Thompson, for example, mm-hmm. no flash Thompson in this, but that's always a really interesting dynamic because they pretty much hated each other in high school. Other yeah. than flash loves Spider-Man and, and most stories where they're adults, you would almost call them friends. And so it's just always a really interesting dynamic to go to. And so not a lot of characters have that rich of, I mean, that, that, I mean, he's got so many that like you look at the movies and like pretty much any character with lines is probably somebody from the comics. Oh yeah. Um, He goes on to say, you know, in the amazing Spider-Man title, since the first time J Jonah Jameson confessed the reasons he hated Spider-Man, it became a formula that, became part of the template of the title itself what happens to the other characters ends up affecting peter parker or vice versa thus enhancing his guilt and weighing down on his sense of responsibility making him take whatever uh, matter into his hands sacrifice something really important he needed to accomplish and deal with the higher risking problem of course great and memorable stories came out of this template because peter's personal peter parker's personal life will always be directly affected by the actions of spider-man 
He goes on to say, however, that became an overused formula as a plot device. Supporting characters used as cannon fodder to introduce a new villain or threat to Spider-Man the, uh, through Peter Parker's cast of supporting characters. For new readers, it presented an opportunity to understand the character's life life functions as originally envisioned back in the early 60s without having to revisit this material. But for longtime readers already familiar with the character's life, it can be somewhat frustrating to see Peter Parker having his his uh, you know life conceptually constantly and conceptually rebooted or redesigned just because that is the mold of which uh, the relatability factor is made of, thus hindering, if not preventing Peter to grow old or evolve as a more mature man or even an experienced, friendly neighborhood hero. He's stuck in his own cycle. The formula repeats itself, making the continuity and chronology of his life stretched out and not prolonged. Which is kind of interesting. I, you know, when I read that, when I read it, kind of his perspective on it, I was like, that's a very interesting take. And it started making me kind of question some of those key storylines and how, you know, those story beats kind of came about. And again, as he's saying, he's not trying to take away from those stories. Those were great stories, but it just seemed to be, became too formulaic. It came to be the crutch. Yeah. It, I mean, a lot of, a lot of what was hit there is really, basic spider-man you know i mean how often does it come down to he leaves aunt may hanging or he misses a date with betty brant or he stands up mj or whatever the case is he's supposed to go help flash with something but he can't do it because of spider-man it happens to him so often and so few people in his let's say regular human life know that he is spider-man Mm-hmm. That it doesn't give him the free pass that you feel like it would. I mean, it kind of does with MJ, but even she still gets frustrated with it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that's what we're going to talk to in a second. So he said when he took over the spider, when um, he took over the, the title, he focused only on the people who really, quote unquote, mattered to Peter Parker's at that stage of his life. Aunt May and Mary Jane Watson. Gone were the days where May was written as a very naive and old woman worried about her precious nephew. Her pattern, her pattern speech became more firm and realistic. She evolved into a woman with a broader awareness. Uh, and Romita Jr., he said, made, made sure we captured that even without words. As for Mary Jane, who we don't see, at least in this run, but just to kind of as he was looking at the character, the writer took consideration of the stories that preceded it, making good use of Mary Jane's spoiler. She, her departure from being with Peter. This was a plot line that occurred right before Jameis took over and Howard Mackey's tenure on the book. He analyzed, he said, I analyzed what was meant for Peter and started from there, which enabled him to start the run of the book in a manner never seen until then. He said, I stripped him down of his entire supporting cast. No search for a new apartment or need to find a roommate. No desperate need to sell pictures to the Daily Bugle. No stress in fighting a villain of the week and is somehow strung to someone else's and Peter's life said, instead I wanted all of that. Uh, Instead of showing all that Spider-Man is now downright ticked off big time lashing out his frustration inside of abandoned buildings scheduled for to be demolished, just angry due to MJ's absence. Ultimately it's all about character. He goes on to say he's no longer shy, insecure adult who will only unleash his demons and frustrations whenever he's got the Spider-Man mask on. Both personas are aligned with one another. He's got, he's older, but not old, just more mature than where he's ever been before. And just like us in a sense of state of mind, the priorities drastically change. His glass is empty. Um, his concerns are different. A new purpose is required and a cycle begins anew, just like real life outside of comic books. Welcome to your adulthood, Peter. <laughs> 
Yeah, so they really May is the only supporting cast member from his traditional cast that you get in this first first arc. Mm-hmm. You no, know, of course, others get used throughout Straczynski's run in general, but for this first arc, they he also takes the time to introduce some supporting cast. Yeah, you know, he goes back to his high school and he's kind of visiting and he's walking by and he sees this kid who reminds him of himself. You know, the kind of nerdy kid, if you will, the little scrawny kid, just a bookworm, and he's getting bullied by these other guys. And of course, Peter steps in, which starts this chain of events to actually him working there, where he talks to a teacher who another teacher and that other teacher has basically given up on trying to help kids and it's just there for the paycheck. Peter ends up looking into it and finding out that they actually have openings because they're short of teachers and they don't have to have teaching degrees. They they can use workplace work study and stuff like that, work experience that's kind of compensate for the lack of traditional teaching certifications and degrees. And through one of those programs, which, and you probably would be aware of this, that those programs are very real. They really do happen. Yeah. And in fact, there was a scenario in my life where I almost looked at one of those programs. I did look at one. I just didn't pursue it. And he ends up teaching and he ends up, you know, connecting with these kids and not all of them, of course, but he really connects with this one kid, Joey, the kid that he helped out from being bullied. And Mm -hmm. it it does like show you this different side of Peter. I really like it when he's a teacher, he's taught a couple times now. And I really, I I mean, yes, don't get me wrong. The classic take the pictures for Jonah is great and all, and I'm all in favor of watching Jonah just scream about his hatred for Spider-Man, <laughs> but it is cool to see him do this other thing. And every now and then it's fun to see him in another job, even though, you know, eventually it's going to go back. The Parker luck as it were. That's right. Um, but yeah, the last part of this revisiting his origin as we'll really get into a lot is, you know, JMS says, you know, his origin is carved and ranks among the high hall of greatest superhero origins. We know the history of his creation as a character, but once looked from within his own realm of fiction in the Marvel Universe, could there bring more to it? Peter Parker can re- replicate his powers of a spider, but why him? Why the spider? Was a, was radioactivity the catalyst? What was the last comic book where, that made you question the very nature of knowledge? How much do we really know about Spider-Man? And up until that point, how much does he really know about himself? And uh, for super for superheroes, much as can be learned from him through his own antagonist. So he said in the course of Peter, in, in the case of Peter Parker, he doesn't seek revenge in the form of justice. He's motivated by guilt, translated by his conscience, by power and responsibility, the elements in which um, he is defined with or without the mask and not only by his enemies. Um, if his abilities simply faded away, he could live a normal life and pursue a life of new responsibilities to help people as a teacher or a scientist. But the power imbued in or bestowed upon him drives his consciousness to to uh, compensate for his greatest failure. Although knowing it, it is an atonement of impossibly impossible to accomplish, so he said. Then the equation is reversed. Just for the sake of the character study power without responsibility in spider-man's publication history stories showing alternate realities of what could have happened to peter without the element of responsibility were told they depict a young man ready to unleash his rage of all that has happened to him you know this run introduces i mean elements out of this run boil down and have repercussions for years but i just i there's this line in it you know this looking at this first issue where Ezekiel, Ezekiel, this other 
character, this brand new character who kind of basically looks like an old version of Peter Parker. He looks like old man Spider-Man kind of. And the questions that he asked were like mind blowing the first time I read. Yeah, it's like he he flat out tells Peter, he's like, this is the big question. I'm going to yank your chain like nobody ever has before. And (laughs) I'm like, he's talking to me right now. The first time I read this, because it's like I had never considered it. We always just took it as we always did what Peter did. We always took it as face value of Mm -hmm. his origin. But yeah, let's definitely get into it now Um, before like. I, before we break it into it, you know, <laughs> the question is, is there any kind of basic information that they reader should know or listeners should do before getting into this? Um, you can. I mean, there's a lot of history. Um, I would say at this point, you, you don't, don't need it. Yeah, you don't. You just need to know the basic idea of what how Spider-Man became Spider-Man. And that's basically it. Yeah. You if you know the basic origin of Spider-Man, you know, he's on a he's. On a field trip at school, in high school, Spider gets irradiated, bites him, that irradiation transfers the powers to him, and he has all his spider powers. And, oh, he's hiding it from his Aunt May. And Mm -hmm. that's it. That's all you need. This story is incredibly new reader friendly. Which which is rare for a character as 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 long history as Spider-Man is, you know, Mm -hmm. and you just don't get that outside of a quote unquote miniseries either. No, you don't. It's. I I actually think it's one of the brilliant things about this is how easy it would be for a new reader. I mean, some of my favorite Spider-Man stories, it's like, you know, 90s throwback, Maximum Carnage. I love Maximum Carnage. It's so much fun. It's 90s ridiculousness at its best, but it's a blast to read. But it's not that new reader friendly. You pretty much have to know who all the major players are because they just kind of assume you do. Here, anyone that they, that, that, Straczynski and Ramita want you to know who they are. They tell you, they show you, they give you all the information you need. Yeah. And I think that's what makes this run. So to so many people, this is kind of their, their Spider-Man. This is how they get introduced to Spider-Man. It always goes back to this, um, this arc for that new generation. So, so yeah. So why don't we just get into it? Um, talk about your favorite parts, favorite moments. Cause I know there's a ton. So I, I already mentioned the beginning, the artwork, just how how it captivated me. I, I've stared at that that spread of Spider-Man swinging through the city so many times. And just throughout it, it's like the, the key things of this first issue are, I really feel like it's just Spider-Man's on his own again. Going to the school, meeting young Joey, meeting the other teacher, the disenfranchised teacher, however you want to describe him, the teacher who's given up and probably needs to retire. He's the teacher that people would say needs to retire if he was about 10 years older. And then he's out one night and he just kind of swinging around and he meets, you know, Ezekiel. He had just kind of did a little bit of a payback at the bullies as Spider-Man, you know, nothing, nothing too serious, just a little bit of payback. Just kind of, and the thing is they were going to carjack a car when he did it. So he did stop a, you know, a relatively minor crime compared to what he's usually dealing with. And then he meets Ezekiel. And the first on the first read through, this part doesn't bother me, but it is related to my nitpick. So I'm just going to get it out of the way now. Initially, Peter is shocked at seeing somebody else like him, somebody that moves like him, somebody that mm-hmm. is as fast as he is. And, uh, you know, Spider-Man is a speedster. 
but he is really fast. And a lot of yeah. people don't really recognize that. That's one of his like abilities that gets slept on, I think, is like how fast he really is. So he's got someone else as fast as he is, moving like he is, climbing walls, like wall crawling the way he does. And it really shocks him, right? Mm-hmm. And later in the story, he will mention how weird it is to be working with somebody like that. And I'm like, come on, man. This isn't that long after the clone saga. <laughs> you were just with yourself, you know, you and Ben Riley. Come on. But I'll forget for that. Maybe that's your silence saying, we don't want to talk about this anymore. We're just going to act it like was. it never happened. That was exactly what it was. Because, like I said earlier, this really isn't that long after, you know, 70 issues or so. And we're not even 70 since the clone saga. It was 70 since the heart of the clone. It wasn't that long mm-hmm. after. So I'll give him a pass for it. But I, I couldn't let it go without mentioning it. But. Ezekiel, you know, he he mentions, he's like, okay, I'm about to rock your world. I'm about to yank your chain. And he says, quoting, did the radiation enable the spider to give you these powers? Or was the spider trying to give you those powers before the radiation killed it? And it's mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh, mind blown. Never thought <laughs> of it. That changes so much, especially if you, if, if you know what came after this and the character of Silk who got her powers from the same spider. You're like, man, mm-hmm. this is really making me question things here. <laughs> And we're just on like page 16 of the first issue of his run. And he's just, he just dropped that bombshell. I'm going to let you soak on that for a bit. Yeah. And then he just leaves. And now like Spider-Man's all distracted. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know what to think. And then we get towards the very end, we get teased of our villain of Moreland where we don't really know much about him. He kind of, to me, he always reminded me of like Morbius. He kind of looked like a little vampire type creature. And later depictions, he's going to be drawn much bigger and even later in this story, he's drawn bigger and you kind of figure out why as it goes, he needs to feed. He needs to feed. And we don't really know the specifics on what he's feeding on and who he's feeding on. We just know he needs to feed on these people. And Mm -hmm. there's some random character that he feeds on sort of like a vampire, not literally like biting their neck, but like draining, almost think of it like a, the way rogue would drain somebody's life essence when she touches them kind of similar like that. And I, I don't know who this person is that he feeds on, but it just kind of gives you a sense of he's willing to kill. You know, he kills, he feeds the guy, mm-hmm. and he's like, okay, on to the next one. And that's how they open this run. And it's, you know, not only now we got to start questioning his origin, we get this new villain that no one has ever seen that is, like you're saying, kind of mix of rogue and, you know, Morbius kind of powers. And it's just like, how is where is the connection here i'm you know you're concerned with the villain but it's just like i'm more intrigued by ezekiel at this moment you know we'll we'll wait on the bad guy and how powerful uh he is but that's when i when i remember first reading i was more intrigued by let's delve into ezekiel because that's fascinating yeah we've seen you know we had ben riley and everything like that but someone that you know, yeah, we jumped to, is it a clone? Of course it's a clone, but someone with this amount of knowledge has got to be more to it than that. Yeah. And in the next issue, we, we learn a little bit more about him. Like he's like, he looks like he's a regular, like wall street businessman. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, he's got like a board of directors meeting and he's just like bored out of his mind in there. And he's made, like, <laughs> yeah. he entertains himself by making the other people in the meeting, like the lower level people who are in the room uncomfortable like talking to the accountant yeah. who wants to give him all this detailed analysis. And he's just like, what's the coffee table number? If you took all my money, put it on the table. How much do I have? <laughs> <laughs> I just want to know. I just want to like, I want to see if I'm bigger than uh, that guy in uh, another comic series. Uh, what's his name? Oh yeah. Bruce Wayne. 
Exactly. And it's like the coffee guy's like, or the account guy's like, no one's ever asked me that before. I'm like, how do you not know? How do you not have somewhere in your balance sheet that just pulls that number at all times? Current value. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's just one thing. Your boss asks you, how much am I worth? You, get, you have a number. Make it believable. And of course, this is when we learn, though, that like at least some of the people in this room know about Ezekiel. They know he has powers. They you know, they maybe don't know all the specifics, but they mm-hmm. know because they even like one of them says to him, you made contact, didn't you? As they happen to see Spider-Man swinging by, you made contact. And it's like, yeah, he did make it. So they know like this corporation is, but he's using this corporation in his efforts mm-hmm. to, to what help Peter, to teach Peter, to hinder, to hurt. We do at this point, we really don't know his motivations. Yeah. I mean, in comparison to just seeing a little bit of, Morlin at that point it was like all right i'm not thinking that ezekiel is the bad guy but i don't know where we trust him on that scale right and you know it's it's worth mentioning that when he first met spider-man he called him peter which yeah. raises suspicions how do you know who he is and you know people like to talk about how easy it should be to figure out who superman is and i'm like oh, you know peter parker is not exactly <laughs> I, don't, I mean he tries but i feel like you know people figure out who he is awfully easily as well so Whatever there, but you do later. He tells Ezekiel tells Peter, he's like, you know, I had three, several, I think it was three different investigators all working on different pieces of the puzzle. And I'm the one who Mm -hmm. put them all together. Nobody else knows but me. And I'm like, all right, that's convenient. Nobody else in your giant corporation knows who, who he is, but that's okay. But in this second issue, you know, Moreland sees Spider-Man. He sees him Mm -hmm. and he just glares at him and it just rocks Spider-Man's spider sense. You know, his Peter tingle goes off. (laughs) (laughs) Like Peter literally hides, like he hides under a building and he's like, I'm just going to go this way a little bit and then swing the opposite. Like he's like terrified. He doesn't know why it's like this instinctual reaction. And I I don't think we've ever had a character in the sense of, you know, one could say like Venom, but Venom doesn't trigger the spider sense you know, at that point. So it's not something that can do that. We've never seen something that would do that physically to Peter um, to make him cower in fear like this. Yeah. Whereas Venom doesn't trigger it at all because of the symbiote's time with, with Peter mm-hmm. Moreland, like it's in heightened more than it usually is. Like typically someone yeah. as far away from Peter as they physically were at the time, wouldn't trigger a spider sense, you know, it'd have to be like citywide threat to trigger it, but just targeted directly at him. And then, of course, we get more of the school. We get Peter's first day at school when mm-hmm. a little bit out of left field, but it, I, I think it's to pay dividends later in the run. You know, there's like school shooter comes in and Peter is able to use the help of Joey of the kid that was bullied, but happens to be really good at science to like m- effectively make smoke bombs, fill the hallways. Yeah. And it's like, OK, it's a cool little sequence. It does. It, it always stood out to me as the way like it doesn't have anything to do with like the rest of the story. But I, if I remember right, it's really just more establishing some of his school stuff that mm-hmm. JMS is going to play on later down the line. And I'll have to call out, like, especially when, um, spot, you know, as Peter, as Spider-Man kind of gets, gets to the shooter at that point, Ramita is very good at showing Spider-Man as menacing. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. he, he, he is, you know, usually don't think Spider-Man being a scary kind of, character but you know when he's grabbing on to the school shooter and just kind of staring at him you know he i would say he's definitely looking pretty menacing at that moment and then you know the not long after peter has started school ezekiel shows up again and he's like hey 
I know it's like his first day, his second day off or, or day, but yeah. I need him to leave for a while. So I'm just going to donate hundreds of thousands of dollars <laughs> yeah. to, of equipment to the school. Can I buy his day, please, now? So I always thought it was kind of funny. Can I buy your employee's day? And then <laughs> they're just, they just talk. They're just like, they go to a pizza place, you know, they're just sitting there eating pizza and talking about his powers. And he's like, I know all about you. Do you know all about you? And he's like, there's a scene where he's like, do you know that you can't talk to spiders? And then Peter tries and nothing happens. <laughs> and I love it. Of course, you know, eventually he would be able to talk to spiders with yes. as part of the other storyline, which I think is even better. But it's in this that we get these, we get these hints and like he starts, we start to learn who Ezekiel is and he talks about how, like in sports, there's this term of like you play to the level of competition. If you're playing mm -hmm. a good team, you're going to play good. If you're playing a bad team, you're probably not going to play well, right? And he basically describes something similar for heroes. So like the X-Men almost always fight other mutants, right? Yeah. Cap Captain America, as American, as patriotic as it gets. Who's his main villains? Nazis, right? Of course, yeah. it's Nazis. And so who does Spider-Man fight? A bunch of what he calls other totems. Spider-Man is a spider. He's a totem. So, of course, he fights lizards and scorpions and octopuses. And, yeah, that doesn't apply to every single one of his rogues. You know, like Green Goblin, for example. It doesn't apply. It doesn't apply to Venom. But I, I like what he calls them. He says, over the years, you fought them and you strove with that. Uh, but you never saw for them for what they are. Pretenders. Pretenders, yes. Like, fakes. Like, he's the real deal. And mm -hmm. they're pretenders. And then it's like... Lizard, scorpion, rhino, puma, vermin. And I start like the first time reading this. And usually every time since I'm like trying to think of like as many characters that would fit into this category. And you know what? They almost all are pretenders. Yeah. Like, you might argue a few of them like lizard aren't because like it, he has his powers, like it's within him, but like scorpions in a suit, rhinos in a suit, vultures in a suit, octopus is well, not a suit. He's in arms. And so it is, it's like they're pretenders. And then they switch to Ezekiel and they've never, mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like at, at this point, I do not remember how, if they ever went much deeper into, it. I need to look back through the run to see, cause I genuinely am not remembering right now, but we really don't get a true origin story for Ezekiel. We just get flashes, just little yeah. bits and pieces. And all we know is it sure looks like he was part of some ritual, some sacrifice and got his powers. And he's like, ah, oh, but that's a story for another time. I'm like, no, tell that story right now. <laughs> but, uh, you know, obviously I'm the same as you. I want to know more about it, but I think it definitely serves to the character of being this mysterious person. We're just going to get hints and ideas and, and that, it, that it makes him such an intriguing kind of new character to this. And, and you know what the funny thing is? We never once get the idea that Peter says, you're a clone, aren't you? We don't hear that. They, it's, I, I got to, you know, if I could, if I could ask Jasinski, I, I would like, I'd love to talk to him. It'd be like, please tell me, was there a mandate to not say the word? Or did you personally say, I am not even bringing this up. And, you know, at this point <laughs> there has been like clones, robots, uh, just people hired to like the Aunt May that died in 400 was an actress, you know, Richard and Mary Park Parker came back. They were uh, allegedly alive in maximum carnage. And they were really like, if I remember right, working for the chameleon, like it's mm -hmm. uh, chameleon, another one of those totems, arguably. Um, it, it's like, why did no one say the word clone? <laughs> just nowhere in this. Did he ever <laughs> question? Are you a clone? It's just like the dirty word. We don't talk about that. We don't talk about that anymore. We got in and over our heads. Stop it. 
glorious word glorious word <laughs> but uh but yeah i mean it, it, then we get like nearby you know we see you know kind of Moreland looking like very vampire like <laughs> you know he's definitely leaning hard into that cliche as he's getting more and more as his kind of energies back and, and things like that. And I, I really like the idea, you know, where he's taking Peter into, you know, his company and saying, um, yeah, you're going to need to stay here um, for, for an indiscriminate amount of times until this, this character that you don't know really yet, Moreland. Yeah. We're going to make him eventually just give up the search and then I'll let you out. Yeah. He makes this, panic room right i guess that's the best mm-hmm. way to call it like it's it what does he say it's like two feet of steel wrapped around an adamantium core how much money does this guy have to have that much adamantium are mm-hmm. you kidding me and it basically the whole thing is designed to be self-sustaining for like weeks and months and whatever and it's like the idea is that Moreland would lose track of where he was to hide peter from him and you know what Peter does? He does exactly what you'd expect, exactly what you'd expect. And he mm-hmm. says, no, he's no different than any other guy who's tried to kill me a million times. I'm not going to run and hide. I'm Spider-Man. I have responsibilities. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, but yeah, before we get into kind of our, what becomes the never ending battle that we're going to get into in a second, we're going to take our next ad break. So as I said before, these ads help keep the lights on at the Geek Ultimate Alliance Network. We don't get to choose what ads come on, and they can be a bit loud. So I'm going to give you a three count in order to turn the volume down before they come on. Three, two, one. We'll be right back. All right. So like we said, you know, you Peter just says, nope, sorry, I'm good. I don't want to be uh, – I, I, I trust you. Not really. So – I think this might be kind of a weird thing you've got going on here. So I'm just going to exit stage left. Right. And that's when he runs into him. He runs into Morland. Morland finds him and punches him. And he's like, nobody's ever hit me that hard. Not Hulk, not Thor, not anybody. And okay, a little, little bit of exaggeration there probably. <laughs> yeah. But because you know, that's what they always say. I've never been hit that hard when they want to express how strong he is. But the whole thing took him by surprise. And he does talk about like, he has no more jokes. He's out of jokes. He's in too much pain at the time. Mm-hmm. And you know, we're only a couple issues into this four issue arc. And if you really think about it, you're like, we're about to have like four issues of almost nonstop fighting between these two. Oh yeah. And I think that Bermuda just shines in his splash pages. I mean, you said at the beginning of the episode, yes. you know, how it, how it opens with him just, you know, that, that great kind of pinup of Spider-Man swinging across the city, you know, and within this issue, you should see, and he's really good at this. It's showing a series of just, the fight in that one huge splash page of the panel, him facing, facing down Moreland and just not getting anywhere with it he will not back down he's barely showing that this is affecting him more than that is yeah it's like peter appears to be throwing everything he has at him and nothing is stopping him nothing is slowing him down this this i i love that splash page and you know he ends up playing the game of like okay well let's run away from the civilians and more figures out well mm-hmm. and I, I i mean they make a point of showing you how fast Moreland is I don't think he's as fast as Spider-Man is. Like, I, I really don't. He can keep up with him. He can hold his own. But I really yeah. feel like, especially with the web swinging, he can stay ahead of him. But Moreland quickly learns, what is the single best way to draw Spider-Man back into conflict? Yeah, get take a hostage. Take a hostage, right? And it's something he goes back to over and over. Anytime Peter starts to get too far away, 
He's like, okay, I'm just going to take out some civilians, just kill some just kill some of these random people, and you're going to come crawling back to me, quite literally, in some cases. Yeah, and he's right. He calls them. I mean, that's the, the weakness of any of our superheroes. Name them. That's, that's the quickest way to get them to pay attention and go after them. But I think that's what makes, even in this one issue, this is what makes Moreland so frightening to Peter. Like he doesn't really know much about him. He's only heard what little Ezekiel's told him about him, but he is, I mean, you go with it. He's the apex predator in this one. Like he, he cannot and will not be deterred from getting in and, and killing Peter at that point. You know, well, he doesn't even say killing him. I think he calls out saying, I'm not here to kill you. Yeah, and, and he even tells him, like, it's not personal. <laughs> it's not yeah. personal. I just <laughs> want to eat your life force is all. Yeah, it's just my nature, you know? <laughs> and, you know, one thing Peter often does, that Spider-Man often does, is he will, he, he will, you know, lose the battle to win the war. And he will retreat to figure out a way to regroup, to gather himself and come back stronger. And he tries that in this issue. He tries it. He steals some random clothes and he, you know, he's walking around as busted up Peter. His face is just now at this point, it is legitimately ugly from all the bruises and the beating he's taken. Mm-hmm. And Moreland still finds him. Or like, what, how does he know who he is? Cause at this point he's only ever seen him as Spider-Man. And it's not until the next issue that we find out he goes to Ezekiel for help. He's like, Hey, you got that room? I'll come check it out now. <laughs> yeah. And it's almost like going, even going back to the fight, you know, the Moreland gives him like a series of like super punches to the ribs. I mean, how's he, how does Peter have any ribs left at that point? Um, and he's just doing everything possible to slink by and just to do it. Like it, it, it is very reminiscent of, a little bit of Bane's fight with, with Batman. Yeah. Yeah. That is a good way to put it. I think, I think that's a great way to put it. So when he, when he asks Ezekiel for help and he, Ezekiel's like, now nah, you're going to die. Sorry. And then you find <laughs> out that, cause that's like the cliffhanger of that issue. Yeah. Right? And then you find out, no, the problem is he touched you. Moreland has made physical contact with you. You're doomed. No matter where you go, he will find you. And part of me is like, you know, he knows some other powerful people. Dr. Strange could like, teleport him across the world <laughs> yeah you know, the iron man or the avengers or the fantastic four to like shoot him in space send him off to the negative like i do wonder like at the time i wondered could morlin follow now i think we can mm-hmm. safely say because of spider verse and stuff like that and we know more morlin's backstory yes he could follow he could have followed yeah. if he wanted to so he literally could go anywhere and he and then he has he's trying to convince Ezekiel saying, hey, I need your help. Do they said, no, no, no. Um, he doesn't know I exist. I'm not. I warned you and I'm sorry, but I'm staying out of this. I'm sorry. You're going to die. Yeah. And at some point, Ezekiel more or less says, like, you're the main curse. Of course, I'm an appetizer. Once he sees you, he's not going to care about me. And like, as long as like he you're a purebred. Know, yeah, you know? you're purebred. You're you're pure. I'm not pure. As long as he doesn't know about me. I can survive this because he will never know that I exist. And then it's just the I mean, the just constant, beautiful artwork of this massive beatdown that Morlun is handing out. And Peter's trying. He's getting his shots. He's emptying his web cartridges. He's doing everything he can. There's this one moment, one moment in the middle of it all, where Peter's like, "Okay, I need to." I got to like, you know, call Aunt May and like check in at the school, taking a sick day, which I'm like, he even thinks of doing that. And <laughs> yeah. I love it because he, this sounds bad, but I do love this part. He sees this homeless guy in the street begging for money, 
right? And he's got a sign, blind, please give. And he uses his web to steal some money. And the guy's like, hey, you can't do that. And he's like, well, you're not supposed to be able to see this. (laughs) (laughs) Even in his most dire moments, he can continue being the quippy, quippy Peter Parker we all know and love. He often says he quips to, it's his defense mechanism. And it really is. Mm Mm-hmm. And I just so much about this, you know, seeing the struggle that he goes through and the way he doesn't give up. Does he pause? Does he try to catch his breath? Does he want to call Aunt May to say, hey, I love you. You're my favorite aunt. You know, you're you're basically my mom. Mm-hmm. Does he want to do that stuff? Of course he does. But he's well, still- especially like his his first call is not necessarily to Aunt May, it's to MJ, who they have broken up. Right. If I remember right, I think she was like in California at this time or so, like working on her acting career, I think. But it, it, it's so depressing because, you you know, in the back of our minds saying they're not trying to kill him. Please don't tell me they're trying to kill him at this point. These are like the last moments. It's almost like in the back of your mind, no, this isn't the end. But is it? Because we've never seen someone outside of maybe Venom and Green Goblin kind of go toe to toe like this and almost bring Peter to the brink of death. Right. And at this point, like, you know, when they or Craven. You know, Cra- Craven definitely good, good call. Yeah. At this point, like you see the the like the sun start to rise, and you realize like they've been fighting all night. They've been, yeah. this, this hasn't all been like ten minutes. This has been like ten hours, twelve hours or more. And it just you know eventually he's like, okay, this is it. I'm gonna die. I have to go for it. And yeah. more just more of these splash pages of them fighting, but then he gets some help. Ezekiel shows up, right? Ezekiel, yep. and this is where he's like, I've never fought with somebody like me. And I'm like, come on, yes, you have. But it is so great. <laughs> Stop it. great you know who Ben Riley is. <laughs> you do. And I I love it. And there's this really cool shot that Ezekiel, you know, Ezekiel makes this point of saying, like, he's not the pure, pure one. He's not as powerful as Peter is. Like, that's effectively what he's saying, right? But he's the mm-hmm. one who draws first blood. He's the one who draws first blood. And then, of course, is promptly seemingly killed by Morlun after that for his efforts. But it, and we're just like, darn it, we need to know more about him. No, no, I was not happy. Like, I was already very invested in this character. I'm like, I need more of him. Why did they kill him off already? And we'll, we'll address that at the end. But at this point, this is when the science comes out, you know, and they, the beginning mm-hmm. of this, we were reminded he is a scientist, you know, he's the new science teacher at the school. He's helping the kid learn some science in the middle of this crisis that the school's going through. And because of that blood, Morland actually ran away. Like he retreats, seemingly kills Ezekiel and retreats. And now Peter's got a sample of his blood. Yeah. Because he said, okay, I'm good for a little bit. I know how to find you. We'll meet again very soon. Yeah, like he can find him at any time. He's like, this this is nothing. You know, it's like, I'm just gonna to- literally playing with my food right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there we go. See, Travis, I know you're listening. We get a little food reference in this show. <laughs> yes, yes, always. Uh, that was definitely for Travis. Always with <laughs> But yeah, so I mean, we come to, you know, the final issue of this this arc and... You know, we're just like, oh, my gosh, where can they go next? I mean, like you said, the last these last three issues are going to be nothing but fights. But it's just like, what more can he do? What could possibly Peter do to stop this? And, you know, this force that will not stop and find him. And he's testing the blood and it's like he realizes the radiation does not mix well with Merlin's blood. And this is where Peter Mm -hmm. basically is like, I'm not actually pure. I, you know, I, I am man, I am spider, 
well, there's some radiation mixed into there. I'm not just, yeah, it's not, I'm not truly pure. And he basically injects himself with all this irradiation. And he's just like, you know, it, it's it's kind of reminds me of Rocket in the in the first Guardians when he's like, ah, oh, what what the heck? I don't have that long to live anyway. Because he's like, <laughs> if I die, I die. But I'm gonna try it, and it, it basically like supercharges him because yeah, he's able to affect Morlun. Finally, he can affect him. Which which is interesting because I mean, he even says the risk to say this is either gonna work or I'm basically gonna die. And, and even part of me when I was reading this came to the conclusion, like, well, even if he does beat it, what does this do to his powers? Like, could this basically be like an all-star Superman situation where he gets too much and it ends up, yeah, he may win the day, but it ends up killing him in the end or affecting his powers or getting rid of his power. Something bad could happen. And, you know, using the irradiation, the radiation, he is able to win. He is able to defeat Moreland. He's able to, Bring, basically close the gap between them and it really like Orland's face like turns all scaly looking and stuff mm-hmm. and it's as he's being affected by this radiation that he really wants no part of so you gotta kind of wonder it's like how if if their confrontation hadn't been so physical from the beginning if he had snuck up on Peter and just started draining him right like what would yeah. have happened at that point because he are as we I mean right now he has way more radiation than normal but there's a baseline that Peter always has in him mm-hmm. and, and what would that what like you said what would that have affected him it'd almost be like I think we can figure out that he could tolerate it at this point but not to this level right and so you know because of that he's he, he wins Moreland runs off slinks off and he's done and it, it, he away. tries to and he starts to melt away and like his we haven't really talked about him but like his valet i guess maybe i'm not sure what how to describe this guy but like his little mm-hmm. henchman who follows him around and helps him at the tailor and stuff shoots him weakening him even more and he seemingly melts away and you know we later realize he basically ported back to like his home dimension because yeah. of you know other events and i will tell you from reading just a little bit about the Moreland character as a refresher from some stuff later i discovered something i didn't realize he popped up in a couple uh issues of black panther so i need to check those out still but apparently those were that was when shuri was black panther and it was not too far after this and then yeah it, it, it's interesting but i like you know after you know like you said the valet goes away i like that little moment on on the rooftop where he goes hello god this is peter parker can i ask a favor i know i've been your personal cat toy for the last few years but can we not do that do that to me again for a while not real long i know the odds on that are just zero but just for a little while say 50 or 60 years i mean that's not long in your terms right (laughs) just kidding god just kidding but i'll bet you knew that didn't you so i it's that you know He's serious, but he's not serious. He's just like, come on, just give me a break. Just give me something good in my life for a change. I, I'm at my lowest point. I nearly died. Yeah, he he needs some time. He needs he need, give him a moment. He needs a moment. Of course, he goes back and he tries to like tell the other people that Ezekiel worked with. Hey, uh, sorry, your boss died, but he died a hero. <laughs> yeah. And he discovers like he sees some footprints, which is kind of gross if you really think about it. Up on the windows and he realizes that no Ezekiel has recently been around and he is alive. And like, he sees a spider, which he takes as a sign. And then this is when we find out, no Ezekiel is alive. We just don't know where he's going. Mm-hmm. Hey, we didn't see a body. We just saw him go into, and he didn't find the body. So, you know, that's always a comics reference. No body. Eh, they're still alive. That's right. The story ends with Peter 
bandaged, bloodied, like literally just bleeding all over the place, passed out asleep in his bed. And he's like, hey, my trusty spider sense will warn me if anyone, uh, you know, scary <laughs> comes up to get me. And who comes in? Aunt May, whom earlier had left him a voicemail saying, hey, mm-hmm. I'm going to the dry cleaners. I'm going to pick up your stuff, too, for you, and I'll drop it off for you. And so she comes by to do that, finds a ripped spider costume, finds him, and that's how this story ends. Um, worth noting, the the following issue does not pick up where this left off. The following no, issue is the 9-11 tribute issue. The issue after that, so two issues later, is when they pick the story back up. But you know, it's not a it's not a long read. This isn't something that's going to take you hours and hours to get through. It's not thirty issues. It's not forty, and it's not. You know, last time we talked about like how long the Invincible Run is, and like the whole thing is solid start to like. There's no weird. It's, it's just six issues, and they're relatively quick reads. You know, mm-hmm. the earlier issues do have quite a bit of text the later issues is mostly action and all balances that's a relatively quick read you know probably five to seven minutes per per issue to read maybe a little longer i know some people would be like ah it should be longer than that but when you read them all together to me it's just every pun intended an amazing spider-man story Oh, yes. No, definitely. Keep the puns coming. Tim will be very happy with that. He would be, he would be <laughs> quite proud. Um, yeah, it's, again, this is just a setup of what became a huge run for him. Um, like we said, we don't talk about the ending of the run because there's uh, enough controversy with that. But the amount of stuff that he sets up in just these six issues and where this ends up going later on is just, you know, what kind of long game was he playing? <laughs> with this um and, and like i said earlier this is one of the reasons this is one of the most celebrated runs his jms run in fact you know looking at you know where oh, what the kind of the impact of it you know he won uh the eisner award in 2002 for best serialized story uh for for his his initial run on this so i mean again it's huge impact on that but i mean even looking at it uh, on you you know what makes this one of your favorite favorite kind of arcs and, and the impact it's had on you as a, a huge, as I know, and those listeners, you know, how big of a Spider-Man fan you are. I think it just boils down to like, this is like the truest essence of the character. Like it characters have those books that like, if you want to understand who they are, you, you recommend this book or you recommend that book. And for, for me anyway, this is a story arc that I can recommend to you and you will learn stuff about Spider-Man's origin. You will learn. I mean, you'll hear references to with great power comes great responsibility, Mm -hmm. but you'll also see some of that flipped on its head. You'll see some different ways. You'll look at his origin through a different lens than we really never had to that point. And I might argue we really never have since either Um, with the, with the possible exception of adding silk as someone else, another student who got powers the same day from the same spider it, which really looking that in the context of this just really makes me wonder what was up with that spider. But <laughs> it it's just the core of who he is, the way he never gives up, the way he constantly will, th- he will do anything to stop anyone from dying. Zero, there are no deaths that are acceptable. It doesn't matter who it is. And the only person he's willing to let die for his cause is himself. And mm-hmm. that's who Spider-Man is. And the whole time you still get some wisecracks in there. You still get some wisecracks. They introduce some cool new characters. They introduce a powerful new villain, which at this point, I mean, this this all came out in the 90s, but 
at, at that time, Spider-Man has been around like 40, 50 years. How hard is it to get another well, villain? Early 2000s. 2000s, my mistake. How hard is it to get another villain that, that last, you know? And mm-hmm. like, w- here we are, we find out that Moreland, like slot picks up the ball that Moreland had and runs with him and expands on him. And we, we see him more in the Spider-Verse and Spider-Geddon storylines. And just, he's part of a whole family of creatures of these vamp totem vampires going after people. And I mean, he, Straczynski and Ramita really added someone to the Spider-Man rogues gallery here. That's, mm-hmm. I mean, that alone is really hard to accomplish. Like to not just introduce a character, a villain that is in your run, but survives your run and goes on to other, like that's, I feel like when you know, you introduce someone when other writers pick it up and go with them. Yeah, and it's very like you said, it's very difficult, especially with the long history of Spider-Man. It's it, it's it's rare when you get, especially this late in the game, like how many villains have stood the test of time, uh, especially with Spider-Man that have gone that can say they have can go toe to toe with Spider-Man and make him almost fear that he, this is it for him. Yeah, you know, like, people people forget how powerful Spider-Man really is, and. You know, I think we've got started to get some glimpses of that in the movies because we've seen Spider-Man now with the Avengers, but especially before that with the Garfield and the Maguire years where he was just off on his own. But he is mm-hmm. strong. He is fast. He's a scientific genius. He has the spider sense, which I think is actually his most useful weapon. He heals quicker. No, not Wolverine fast, but he's healing faster. And he is truly someone who can hold his own with anybody, you know, with anybody. Yeah. And people forget that. So to give him someone that does this to him, that puts him through the ringer this way, that he nearly has to kill himself just to, just to survive. It's just such an, to me, an absolute epic spider story with some beautiful artwork throughout the whole thing. The splash pages are just incredible. There are several of them. I would love to have original artwork for. And I mean, I'm sure that kind of thing is out of my price range, but I would, (laughs) there are quite a few pieces in there that I would absolutely love. And it's just the start of, you know, what to me was overall a strong run. Yeah, there's the whole sins past thing. But even that, I don't have the same feelings about that as other people do. Um, I want to just give a, a quick one-off shout out to issue 50 of this run, which is Spider-Man and Peter Parker. Well, really, it's Peter Parker and Mary Jane at an airport. He has to change to Spider-Man and fight Dr. Doom with Captain America. And yes, Dr. Doom goes through a metal detector. It's great. It's just a, it's a one shot. It's a done in one story, but it's just a great. And I really like Straczynski's voice for Spider-Man. And Ramita's still in the artwork for that one. Just his voice for Spider-Man. Is he my absolute favorite Spider-Man run? No, but it's a great one. It's a brilliant one even. And so this, like, this would be the thing. If someone, had, where do I go to start with Spider-Man? These issues. That's where you start. Yeah. And I think to going back to, you know, we we forget how powerful, you know, Spider Man is, and Peter. I think it's very admitted that he doesn't push himself. He doesn't. I think he. I don't know if it's a fear thing or not realizing how powerful he can really go. And I think the storyline kind of stands out in my mind later on is where he finally lets go and says, "You know what? I'm throwing the gauntlet down. I'm doing this." It's probably ends of the earth. I think that's mm-hmm. the most danger, like the most like. He is he is throwing everything out there that he's got. He is letting his power set go at, at that point. So a story for another time. But I, I think one of the things that appeals to me about JMS's run is that 
as we said, as I said in the background, or as excuse me, JMS said, I wanted to bring he wanted to bring something to the character that hadn't been done before. He needs to grow up. He needs to mature. And it's no longer about teenage Peter not being sure of himself. It's it's you are now at your lowest point. What do you do? You know, you really think about it like Spider-Man. Like I said, he heals fast, but not like Wolverine. He's super strong, but he's not like Hulk strong. He's incredibly intelligent. He can hold his own. He can have those deep scientific conversations, but he's not as strong as, or not as intelligent as Iron Man or Reed Richards. And then of course he has this like never give up attitude. That's like Captain America. It's like, he really is like this almost combination of all these different characters of individual traits. Mm -hmm. And this story arc shows it. It just shows all of it. And oh yeah. I I don't know what it is. I, I'm definitely going to read a few issues past this one, and I'm still working on what my next binge read is going to be. And uh, but I'm I'm going to read a few more past that, including including that issue with Doctor Doom. So I I, I, I do. Love, I mean, one that has an absolutely gorgeous cover, one of my favorite Spider-Man covers of all mm-hmm. time, and two, it's just a really fun one shot. So um, oh yeah, no, very good. But you know, would you ever see? Could you see possibly? Tom Holland or or the MCU possibly picking this storyline up and, and venturing down into this area? You know, it's a funny time to ask that question because I, I might have said no a month or two ago, but now with all these, you know, I guess we're dating when we're recording this a little, but with all these rumors swirling of all, you know, the, of McGuire and, and Garfield appearing in the next Spider-Man MCU movie. It's all technically still rumor. Nothing's confirmed, but there's an awful lot of smoke there. So you feel like there's knows, by the time this drops, we may have our confirmations, but <laughs> you know, you never know we might, but it just, I, I, I couldn't rule it out. You know, I couldn't rule it out because they're introducing a Spider-Verse concept right now. Or at least it sure seems that way. And like in the comics, Spider-Verse had its push in the movie in the animated movie, Spider-Verse had his push in the comics and they've really been pushing these alternate takes on him. And in the comics, it was Moreland. Like that's where it started. And so, yeah, I could see them maybe doing something along those lines at some point, you know, and if they, I mean, how Feige and company, they don't ever directly adapt stuff, but if they wanted to make this something they were going to directly adapt, I'd be on board. Sign me up. It, it's spider-man come on they, well yeah that's true to. i mean they had me at spider-man but i'm just saying <laughs> of all the different story arcs yeah i i would love to see i would love to see this and we've i mean we've gotten elements of peter like the never giving up and things like that and the strength mm. we've certainly gotten those elements but just a core who is the fundamental the fundamental character like the spirit of the character like i mean almost could almost say like a definitive take on who the basics are of Spider-Man mm-hmm. in this story. And it, it's maybe not the first run that someone would think of f- to say that about, but I'm going to go with it. I feel like just as a, an understanding of a fundamental understanding of who this character is, these issues give it to you. Oh yeah. Fully agree. So, uh, so my last two questions are, you know, who would this comic book arc uh, appeal to? And what is your elevator pitch to someone that has not read it? Well, at this point, I would say I think it appeals to everybody. But I think if you're a Spider-Man fan, if you're a longtime Spider-Man fan, you know all the lore and everything. Well, great. You're going to get some new stuff thrown, flipping what you think you know, making you look at characters like Scorpion and Dr. Octopus a different way. And at the same time, if you've never read Spider-Man, maybe, you know, maybe you're that 
<laughs> you're that that goal, that diamond in the rough of like you watch the movies or you saw the TV shows and then you wanted to read the source material. You know, it's so rare that that really happens, but maybe that's you. Okay, great. You don't know where to start with Spider-Man. He's been around for a billion years. There's thousands and thousands of issues that he's appeared in. Start here. Start with this. Give you yeah. everything you need to know. <laughs> everything, everything you need. All the spiders, all the spiders. That's right. Um, so any final thoughts before we uh, say our goodbyes? Uh, not really. Just want to thank you again for, uh, letting me come back on the show and for you bringing up Straczynski with me, you know, what was that a month or two ago when we first started talking about it? It was yeah. like, all right, well, we got to make this work now. Cause I'm going to reread this. So if I'm going to read <laughs> this again for the first time in a long time. We're going to talk about it. Oh yeah, no, definitely. And if you've got Marvel limited, all this is there yep. right at your fingertips at that point. So, but no, thank you, Brent, as always, my friend, you're always welcome on the show. And, um, you know, we'll have to start thinking about are we going to delve into some Spider-Man, some Invincible? We we'll have to think about uh, when your return is what you're going to do next. So many choices, yeah, so many I, choices. I, I am going to have to start thinking about what what glorious to put put you through next. <laughs> <laughs> what what gauntlet are you going to throw me through? Um, but no, thank you again, and, and uh, why don't you uh, tell people how they can follow you and plug your shows one more time? Sure. Uh, I'm Brentac Prime on Twitter. Squadcastmedia.com is the podcast, uh, the website for all the podcasts I'm a part of. Marvel Squadcast again. We're going to go weekly once, at least for the duration of WandaVision, and then I'm. We'll see. We'll see. We don't know what we're going to do exactly after that. And then, of course, Fans Without Borders is my regular weekly show. Typically comes out on Mondays. Every now and then it's a little different, but typically Monday mornings, four thirty Central is when that drops. So I don't know how that became the time, but that became the time. So. <laughs> You know, it drops. We listen. Some of us are up at that point when right it drops. I, I am amazed when I've got a couple of comments from people who've already listened before I even wake up. <laughs> and really, I do know why it drops at that time, because I wanted it to have time to get through my podcatcher. So it would be mm. there for when I woke up so I could, you know, go through it and verify everything's good. And it it is always funny and, you know, humbling to wake up and have a couple of comments from someone who... Maybe they like something you said. Maybe they hate something you said. But either way, you're like, thanks for listening. I appreciate it. <laughs> exactly. So, but again, Brent, thank you for uh, coming on again. We look forward to uh, you coming back on. So, well, listeners, we come to another uh, end of the episode of World's Finest True Believers. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Finest Believers and me personally at Chris Balga. You can follow the Geek Ultimate Alliance Network on Twitter at GUA Pod Network. You can email the show at World's Finest True Believers at gmail.com. Feel free to tweet, email if you want to be a guest, provide feedback, ask questions. Uh, you And if you get get the chance, take a few minutes to uh, rate and review that Geek Ultimate Alliance Network on Apple Podcasts, whichever platform of choice may be. Um, as always, listeners, you are all truly world's finest true believers. And whenever you listen, it's morning, afternoon, evening, or the deepest night. Stay safe out there, everyone. Thank you very much. Have a good one. Bye-bye, everyone. Mm-hmm.